Good afternoon and welcome to Lunchtime Series, proudly powered by leadershipbydesign.co, where we aim to add value to people's lives. You can listen to us live every Wednesday and Thursday at lunchtime on ebizradio.com, where we talk everything leadership, coaching, and marketing. And you can catch Lunchtime Series on all your major podcast channels today. Today, we have a wonderful leadership coach who's going to be uh, showcasing some really interesting stuff. And she's all the way from... Uh, the other side of the planet, literally. Yeah. Michelle Thompson, how are you doing? Thank you for being on the show. Thank you so much for having me. It's uh, it's really a fun way. It's 7 a.m. my time, so this is a great way to start my day. <laughs> I'm so sorry. Yeah, like, <laughs> no, it's fine. I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm a waker at 5 a.m., so this is totally fine. So, I mean, Michelle, thank you for, for making the time. But before we kick off, don't you just want to give us a bit of background and just kind of tell us who you are and uh, what you do and and sort of elaborate on that. Sure. Um, so my name is Michelle Thompson. I live in Vancouver, British Columbia. Um, I think the most important things I can tell you is that I'm a wife. I am a daughter. I'm a stepmom. I'm a dog mama. And I love all things lemon. So, I mean, those are the important pieces. And I love a good cup of tea. So um, after that, I'm a registered nurse. And I have primarily worked in seniors housing and working with long-term care geriatrics for most of my nursing career. And uh, it's because of that work that's led me to the work that I do now. So I moved from Ontario, another province in the east of Canada, to British Columbia in around 2006 to start a leadership role. And it was really, I would say, my first uh, senior leadership role where I would be overseeing a care home. And I really thought that everything was going well. And I was led to believe that. And I don't believe that my employer set me up to, you know, misrepresent themselves. I just don't think they knew. And so it was only about three months after I arrived. And I started to feel this, like, shift within the care team. And I couldn't figure out what was going on because I was doing everything at the time that other leaders who were mentoring me told me to do. Have pizza parties. Engage people have them make decisions that are slightly above their scope of practice. And I couldn't figure out why people were starting to feel a little despondent. Engagement was going down. And so I arrived to work one morning and I was told that licensing inspectors were coming to our home, which isn't unusual here in Canada. They often will just show up to make sure you're doing what you say you're supposed to be doing. And so I said, well, that's fine. We have nothing to hide. And our admin coordinator said, no, I, I don't really think you understand. They're coming to investigate you because someone on the staff accused you of covering up the death of a resident. And it was in that moment that I literally felt the blood drain from my body and I went into full panic mode. And it wasn't because it, I knew it was true. It was because I knew it wasn't true. I had yeah. only been working for this organization for a handful of months at that time. I didn't know if I would have the support of senior leadership. And I became very quickly aware that I had no idea what I was doing and I was way in over my head. And so after a two-day investigation, which eventually led to the outcome that I you know, did not do what was being accused, the person who made the accusation said, well, we thought that if we could get her fired, things would just go back to the way they were. And so, you know, wow. again, it, you have these moments where I realized that this was a learned behavior, that it was such a dysfunctional and toxic workplace that this learned behavior seemed to be the only viable option was potentially to ruin someone else's career so that you didn't have to feel uncomfortable and go through change. And change is scary for people. Um, but again, it was really in, in that time when I realized I had two options. I could either quit my job 
and go work someplace else and within the healthcare system likely end up in another environment where there was possibly some toxicity and I would have to be doing this all over again. Or I could dig my heels in and be the stubborn Leo that I am and really try to figure this out. And so that led me on this 25-year journey to where I am now to hopefully creating a little bit more humanity in the workplace, creating psychologically safe workplaces that people never want to leave. And that's really my goal in the work I do now. That's such a wonderful story and, and so fascinating because, you know, such an alarming way of trying to go, oh, let's get over fired. <laughs> like like they, yeah. could, you know, they could have done so many other things. Um, but, you know, from that, you've you've literally made a choice and taken that uh, that very difficult situation and completely changed your life, right? And this is this sort of leading to us, you know, speaking about our topic today. So, so do you want to give us a bit of a, a, a bit the background of what we are going to be unpacking for today's conversation? Yeah. So, you know, I think that leadership has kind of gotten a bad rap. I think we've made it more complicated than it needs to be. I really yeah. believe that leadership is an inside job. You already have everything you need. And as corny as that might sound for some people, I really do believe that while there is an amazing amount of leadership books out in the public, and believe me, I have a whole bookcase full of them. So this is, I'm not here to, to knock those. I think they have a time and a place. But what I've read over the years is that if you acquire A, B, and C attributes, you'll be a tremendous leader. And while I don't necessarily think that's untrue, I also think that when we understand how we are hardwired to connect and how we are more alike than we are different, and when you can understand the fundamental differences of how to create trust and safety, you automatically develop really strong relationships very simply with tools you already have in your tool bucket. It's really just understanding the hard wiring. And so I've developed five or six things that I believe that if leaders do these every day, incorporate them every single day into your practice, you will create not only more trusting and safer um, communication and, in, and relationships with people, but you'll start to shift a culture in the organization to one where everyone sees this as this is just how we hold space for each other. This is how we show up for each other. And in doing that, creating true psychological safety. And I believe that the three components of that are that where people can show up without fear of retribution, that they can speak their mind in a respectful way, that they can show up as their whole self, even on the days that they're not at 100%, because none of us are all the time. And that we can have difficult conversations with each other where we don't always agree, but that there will be no major fallout from that. And that we can learn and each of us bring our own unique things that add value to an organization. I think when you can incorporate those three pieces, um, that's really kind of we're on then a path of, of bringing like humanity back to the workplace, really. And I think that's the goal here is you know, I know this is a long answer to a very simple question, but I think that the leadership, particularly in um, more corporate spaces, we've sort of been taught over several, you know, years and years is that we don't get to have feelings when we go to work, that it's seen as unprofessional or that people might think that you're weak. You're still human when you go to work for 8, 10, 12 hours a day. And so it's really about learning how to self-regulate, how to manage your own emotions, but then how to support people with their own and how do we work through that. So 
I, you know, I, I've developed just a, a short list. And as I said, I think if people follow this, that they'll definitely see a positive change, not only in themselves and how they show up for other people, but then also the culture. And this can be done in your personal and your professional life. Yeah, I love that. Uh, and and I, I do resonate with that. I think that the, uh, you know, through being in business and, and really just uh, stepping forward and taking action to 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 what the the foundation of what leadership is, uh, we do have a lot of resources at hand very often, but uh, half the time we're not sure if it's the right approach or we're not confident enough about it, and uh, and then we end up just not doing it. But I mean, if we if we look at uh, you know one of the things that we mentioned here is is um, core values, you know so. Uh, <laughs> I still, I still laugh where, where, where you know, sometimes um, uh, when you, I've watched the video with Simon Sinek and he says that, you know, they like these stayed nouns that we have on walls that, yeah. that mean absolutely nothing. But I mean, you know, from your perspective and from, from your framing, why is it important to know your core values? Well, I think it's important for leaders to know their core values because that's that's your North Star. Those are the things that help you make decisions. And it makes decision-making easier when you know your core values. It also, I think, for other people, makes them feel safer with you because it's it, it adds an element of predictability. When you know what your core values are and you're making decisions based on those core values, you never, well, I shouldn't say never, it's very limiting language, but you rarely then will question why the why as simon says of of why you're making that decision because you know where it's coming from it's not because i'm worried i'm going to make someone angry if i don't do this or i sh i feel like i should do this because of acts um or the organization wants me to do it but i don't really want to speak up and say i don't agree with that when you're when you're making those decisions from that place it allows other people to feel safer in your presence because you're predictable they know how you're always going to show up the thing is, is that, and we know this, people trust those that they know, they like, and they trust. And so when you are able to show up in a consistent way, it helps to create trust and safety. And we, we also know is that people don't behave well in the workplace when they don't feel safe. And I, you know, attest this to what we see if we're out and we see a child having a temper tantrum, right? I think that adults still have those same emotions that we do when we're children, We've just learned that maybe that's less appropriate to do that when we're older. Um, but usually a temper tantrum is coming from a place of fear. They're asked to do something new or they're asked to do something that um, is, you know, appears scary um, or, you know, whatever. But usually it's coming from a place of fear. And I think that adults are in the same place. Change can be really hard for people. So when they have leaders that are consistently showing up from a place of core values, that makes people feel safer. So how do you know your core values? I always suggest just get a list. You can find them on the internet. If someone wants to reach out to me, I've got worksheets. I'm happy to send those to people. Um, but you can just go through a list of those values and just pick two or three. And it, sometimes it'll take a couple of days to weed through those because you have to really sit and let them resonate. And some are very similar. Uh, and so it can be difficult to pick those and know that it's good to review them, to go back and review them on a regular basis because we change and we grow and we're constantly developing. Uh, you know, I have core values that have stayed with me since, you know, as long as I can remember. 
But I also had ones in my 20s that I don't value anymore because I've changed and my belief systems have changed. And so that's okay. And that's really good that your core values are changing. I think in the workplace, it's really important that we understand the core values because it teaches people how we show up for each other. When we have a set of core values, it sets the guidebook to say, this is the framework by which we've all agreed we are going to hold space for each other. And I remember hearing a quote several years ago when I went to a like an HR conference, and I wasn't even in HR at the time, but it really sat with me. And it, it's funny how these things stay with you and then you end up sort of doing work in that space. And I believe it's from Gunter and Whitaker. And they say that um, the culture of an organization is shaped by the worst behavior it's willing to tolerate. Oh, wow. <laughs> right? And so, you know, while that it's, seems very like negative, that. I think that that's the intention of understanding the core values, because when you don't understand core values, then it leaves this space of assumption for people like, well, I think that this is what pol being polite means. Well, someone else might think something different. So you really have to, you know, tease it down and, and figure out what that means. And so I've gone into organizations where there is not a lot of trust. And that can be really hard to bring a group back together and ask people to be vulnerable. And so I use that premise because it's easier when there is not as much trust to get people back to a place of like, this is a framework where we can agree. So what I do is I get them together and I will ask them, can we all agree on what is the, what are, well, like, what are the worst things that we're not prepared to do? Like is swearing off the table yeah, swearing's off the table. Is yelling and screaming off the table, if everybody agrees, then we start kind of creating the core values from a place of this is what we're not willing to tolerate. And then you just reverse engineer it. And, and slowly, you can get more to that place of those, those higher level core values. But you have to kind of start at a place of saying, okay, I know that there's not a lot of trust here, but I know that there's still some common ground that we all agree is not acceptable behavior. So what, what is that? And let's start there. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, I'm so glad that you unpacked that because I think, you know, so many people, um, because somewhere, somewhere, uh, you know, 25 years ago in a textbook, someone said values are important, um, but they didn't contextualize it like you just did, you know? <laughs> and then you, yeah. when you really, really understand, you know, I have got some, uh, some, some of my coaching clients, who, when they've recognized their, their, their own values and what they're willing to tolerate and what they're willing not to, they, their relationships change, their friendships change, their entire lives change. And suddenly they're like, wow, I didn't think that coming to the realization of understanding what my absolute core, my North Star is, like you say, or recognizing it to that degree will impact my life to this degree. And I'm like, well, that's the point of a value, else yeah. you wouldn't have them, right? Um, and I love that. And I think, um, um, you know, the, the 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 mention that you you mentioned now with um, Gantner and um, who's the other person? Whitaker. Whitaker and Gantner. That yeah. the worst is it the worst the worst behavior. Yeah. So the culture of an organization is shaped by the worst behavior it's willing to tolerate. Oh man, I that that is just. That is such a profound statement. Yeah, <laughs> that should I know. Be like, like an opening, you know, segment of like some of the shows we do. 
Yeah. Um, and so, and I think that really quickly, Kevin, like that's yeah. why when, when you, when we hear Simon Sinek say like, it's not about having this mission statement or this value statement that nobody lives by. That's why the core values are so important because when when you understand what the core values are of an organization, basically what's that telling people is this is how we work together. This is just how we do. It's not a statement. It's not a feel good thing. It's great to have those. But really, at the end of the day, the core of it is this is really just how we will hold space for each other. This is what's acceptable and in, in where we work. These other things are not acceptable. And when you talked earlier about, you know, core values changing people's lives, I've seen this a lot in the work I do because I work a lot with healthcare professionals. They're often, because they're in a place of service, they're often people pleasers. They have a hard time setting boundaries and they're also often perfectionists. Yeah. And so I find having core values also helps them not just in decision making, but also sometimes learning how to set healthy boundaries without having the guilt attached to it. Because what your core values does, again, when you have that North Star, if I say to someone, I'm not prepared to take your phone call after nine o'clock at night, it's not because I'm being a slacker because I don't want to work into the evening. It's because if the core value that's driving that is family, this is family time or this is self-care time or whatever it is. But when you know what the driver of that value is, then you can share that. And so that's really more around the work of Stephen Covey, where he says that if you state your intention and you share that with people, you have less, there's less likely that you're going to feel guilty or shame around a statement that you know might upset someone because it's attached to a core value and you're stating the intention behind it. So I just wanted to add that because I think that that can be also why it's so life-changing for people when they figure this out. Absolutely. I love that. But I mean, with with that, you know, it's, it's a great sort of segue into our next sort of talking point here about stating your intention, right? And the question is, why is it important for leaders to learn how to create psychological safe environments? And I think that that point of of stating your intention, I you know, <laughs> I always I I always ask or share this with with groups of you know when I do a lot of training or coaching, um, you know, telling people like prefacing the intention right up front, the intention of today's meeting is so that everyone sort of transacts and they they know what's going to be happening in this hour so mm -hmm. you're directing them and you're, you're you're creating an understandable moment for everyone in the room to kind of go okay cool this is where kevin's at and we need to climb onto that kind of conversation uh, and this is not a just a oh by the way like we're mm -hmm. just quickly having a meeting so but i mean please unpack that for us you know from your perspective why is it so important yeah, I mean, that's a huge, I mean, we could talk about that part for days. So thank you for asking that question. Um, but I think that, you know, again, going back to what psychological safety is, is it's really giving every person the opportunity to participate wholly in a conversation and engagement, decision making. And so how, you know, how do you do that? Well, I think that sometimes we have to be aware of the language that we use and how we speak to make sure that everybody feels that they can participate. So if I, um, you know, go into a meeting and I start using a bunch of acronyms or jargon that maybe a new person who's just joined the team hasn't gotten up to speed and they don't know what those mean, I can't participate in that. 
So now I've created an, an unsafe and a psychologically unsafe work environment because I don't feel that I'm being included. I don't feel that someone has taken a small amount of time to make an effort to give me the information that I needed before going into that meeting so that I could feel that I could wholly participate. Can that person say, hey, I don't really understand what's going on and raise their hand and ask for support? Absolutely. Not everybody feels comfortable doing that. And I think that's the piece of psychological safety is to meet people where they're at, to assume that people are coming into this with no ability to feel comfortable to ask for support. And so what are we doing? We're creating a container. We're creating an environment where people don't have to do that. And so by stating the intention, I think it's really, you you know, as you said, you can start a meeting by saying, hey, we're all here to talk about this today. Does everyone feel that they have the information they need to participate in today's, you know, discussion? Did anyone, yeah. did everyone get the briefing note that we sent out two days ago so you could review the information and we could have a wholesome conversation? If someone raises their hand and says, no, I didn't get it. Well, then maybe you're not going to be having such a wholesome conversation because you may have to go back and include that person to get them up to speed. I experienced this years ago with stating my intention, and, and this was why I started incorporating Stephen Covey's work into some of the leadership that I do, because it was a real learning opportunity for me. And I really think that's how we develop as leaders. We try and iterate and when things don't work. We, you know, we learn from them and we get better. And I had always assumed I'm a very open person, and I, I like to think that I make people feel that I'm open to hear all aspects of, of perspectives. And I was working for an organization at the time, and we were going through a very large change management process. And so we often were having these regular meetings where we were talking about what the process would look like and who was going to be taking the lead on certain things. And I learn and comprehend by asking a lot of questions. And so I would always just ask a lot of questions. And I made the assumption that people just knew that I was asking from a place of curiosity, that I was asking because... If you're going to ask me to roll this out, I need to understand all the other components behind it. And I remember a colleague that I was quite close to at the time, at the end of the meeting, approached me and said, why do you always have to be so like negative in these meetings and you ask so many questions? And I, like my feelings were really hurt. My ego came out in full force in that moment. I was like, what are you talking about? And they just said, like, it's just, you're all, you always have so many questions and you make these meetings so much more difficult. And I said, I'm, you know, that's not my, that wasn't my intention. My intention was to ask questions, to get clarification, to understand better, to understand process. So I've learned then, since then, that I can't assume that people know why I'm asking the question, that I need to say that. So now when I'm talking to someone, particularly if I'm having a conversation that can be a little difficult, uh, I will state my intention and say, and I, well, I would say this, I, I use this a lot when I'm asking staff members and organizations that I visit how their day is. And I'll tell you why, because often I'll go around and if they don't know me really well, I'll say, how's your day? And, and I'll hear fine. But their face is telling me that everything is not fine. And yeah. so I will say to them, well, that's odd because your body language and your face is telling me that maybe there's something more going on. Why are you telling me things are fine? And often they'll say, well, because A, I don't know you. So there's I've, there's no trust. I've jumped in way too quickly. I haven't made the effort to build the trust and make people feel safe, which are the two yeah. core components of leaders. And the other piece is that they don't know what I'm going to do with that information. So yeah. why would I give you information that, I don't know, maybe I'm going to get in trouble. 
maybe this is not a psychologically safe workplace. And I'm afraid that if I tell you the truth and my boss finds out, I'm going to get in trouble for that. So now I will say to people, the reason I'm asked before I even ask them, I'm going to ask you how your day is going. And the reason I'm asking is because I want to know if there's anything I can do to provide resources, support, equipment that you need to do your job better. Yeah. And then people often will like, then they'll really let it rip and they'll tell you sometimes more than you need or want or can manage. But I think then that's coming from a place of feeling more psychologically safe because they know now they can tell you what's on their mind without fear of anything bad happening. But also that could start another conversation to say, you know, the you made one point that was really interesting and I never thought of that before. Do you have some time next week to come to my office and sit down with me for maybe 30 minutes so we can talk more about that? I'd be really interested to hear more about what you have to say about that. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so, and I, and I love that because I think we, uh, when, when we have those, those moments of, yeah, I'm fine, you know, and uh, you, you really, I, and I do the same because, because you, you know, nonverbal communication can be such a, in your face when you pay attention to it, <laughs> you kind of yeah. go, okay, I can see there's absolutely nothing fine about you right now. And, um, and, you know, there's an acronym for, for fine as well, which we won't go into, but I mean, like, um yeah fine fine doesn't sort of really give you enough to work with right so it's it's being intentional and and really paying attention to how do i actually tap into the conversation and just be present with the the people that i'm speaking to and i think that also ties into you know presence in itself as a as a as a as a conversation ties into um sort of a foundation of psychological safety because very often when we're not present we we quite flippant about how we answer um and it doesn't come from a, a you know a, a genuine place and it feels bit disingenuous and and kind of superfluous and you kind of go well that's we're not, we're not really connecting at a really good level here and if we're not connecting we're certainly not building trust and when if we're not building trust we definitely aren't safe you yeah. know so there's so many layers to that and to be able to connect to that, why it has to be intentional and why you really need to have that connection. Yeah. But I mean, can you give us just some practicals on how do we create safe environments for, for organizations? I mean, what do you do when you walk into an environment? What's the first thing that you sort of step into? Yeah. So the first thing that I try to do is, uh, you know, just walk around the environment and say hello, introduce myself to everybody. Um, I don't like using titles. You know, for me, those are, that's what I do. It's not who I am. I want you to know who I am, not what I do for the organization. So I generally will go around and just try to meet everybody, say hello, ask them, you know, what they do. For the, the advice that I give leaders in terms of when I was working as like a manager in homes that had really good engagement and and we got feedback that we're psychologically safe we're sort of these like five or six things that i think leaders can do every day and you can do them when you get good at it you can do it in less than 10 minutes a day and cycle through them so i'll go through those really really quick for for the listeners just because i think that one if you get one or two out of them maybe that will be really helpful and it's a it's a start so the first one i always say is that again you know this is from the premise of people can't trust or uh, like 
someone that they don't know, they don't see. So if you have yeah. a proverbial office, you need to get out of your office. You need to go where your people are. You need to be seen. You need to get out um, and show them, you know, I'm just walk around. And at the beginning, you might see some like, what is she doing here? Or what's he doing here? And again, it's stating the intention. Hey, I'm just here just to, you know, kind of make sure everything's going okay. Do you need anything? I always tell leaders to watch the faces of the people when you enter a room. If they look horrified to see you, there's a chance that maybe you're doing a few things wrong. They should be happy to see you because they know that when you're there, you're there to support. You're there to empower. You're there to provide autonomy, to encourage, to offer support when they ask for it, but not to give advice when you're not asked. And that's a big thing as a leader is you're not always there for advice. Sometimes people just want to bounce things off of you. So ask. Is this conversation where you're going to be seeking advice for me or do you just want me to listen? People yeah. need to know that you trust them. So that's the first one is really just kind of getting out of your office and talk to different people all the time. When you can get to know people in their personal life in a way that feels safe for them, you know, how many kids they have. Oh, I have two kids too. How old are your kids? Do they go to the same school? Maybe they like to play t-ball or whatever. They do sports the same. You know, again, it's finding those areas where we have commonalities, where we're more alike than we are different. It also helps you understand when someone starts to maybe have some performance issues, why those might happen. I remember years ago, I had a single mom with a child who had um, autism and she was never late for work. And she started showing up late for work. And when she was there, it was a bit of presenteeism. She wasn't really fully engaging. But because I knew about her child, I suspected that was what was going on. So when I brought her in my office, I just said, hey, listen, I just like, like I want to make sure you're okay. Is everything okay? And I mentioned her son, you know, how is he? And she started crying. And she said, thank you so much for asking the question. He's not been doing good at school. He's not sleeping. Uh, you know, all of the things. And and that was what was causing it. So for her to know that I already understood that and she didn't have to explain it, we were able to to support her in a way that she didn't feel bad or guilty um, and that she really, truly, I think, just felt supported by us and her coworkers. So that it's really important. Yeah. I think the other thing for us is to develop a growth mindset. So this isn't that toxic positivity where you disregard all emotions other than those that are positive and say, I'm only going to be positive every day. I think it's really about looking at the possibility about, you know, maybe we can't do this right now, but how do we get to that place? I always say like, let's try to get to yes, or let's try to get to how do we get there as opposed to saying, no, we can't do that. Or we tried that in the past and it never worked before. Okay. Well, maybe it's time that we try it again in a different way. How do we do that? How do we leverage that? So it's looking as uh, at the fails as opportunities to learn and grow and develop. It's not looking at it, like I said, as a failure or finding kind of the weak link and the person to blame. It's about how can we improve? And when that happens, I think that that also creates psychological safety because people see this as a place where I can make a mistake and I'm not going to get in trouble for it unless it's like a real catastrophic mistake. This is going to be used as a learning opportunity and a teaching moment for everybody. So, you know, one of the other ones is ask, just ask a lot of questions, get out and listen. I was told by an elder once, a First Nations elder, that we have two ears for a reason and only one mouth. It's because we're supposed to be listening twice as hard as we speak. Um, and so I think, you know, I think that that's true, that we should be really listening to what people are saying. Um, and that's a whole nother active listening is a big one. Uh, 
approaching every situation with humility and curiosity. I think that whenever we ask a question from a place of humility and curiosity, it's never a wrong or bad question. So a lot of people, I think, like you had mentioned earlier, they're afraid to ask tough questions or have hard conversations because they're afraid of saying something wrong or offending someone. And, you know, the culture that we're in now, that can be really easily done and and the fear is real. I believe, though, that when you ask a question from a place of humility, and for me, the word humility just means that I'm acknowledging that there's more for me to learn. Yeah. So when you come at it from that place and I'm truly curious, can you help me understand this is not something I've ever experienced before. I'd like to get your perspective. It's different from mine. Nine out of 10 times, there's no question that you can ask that's going to be taken out of context or offensive to someone. So I think that's really important to keep that in mind. And then, you know, I like the fact of doing one kind thing every day. And this isn't always just for other people. It could be a simple thing as sending someone an email. Hey, thanks for the work that you did on that project. Or better, even better, picking up the phone. It was so great to like see you today. Can we schedule a lunch meeting next week? But it's also, what's one kind thing I can do for myself? Self-care is a big, big piece of being a leader, is being able to fill your own bucket so that you can continue to kind of pour in for others. So what's one kind thing I can do for myself today? And then I think the most important one, and we've already spoken about this, is for us to be rec- to recognize the limiting language that we often use in the English language that is not intended to be limiting. So by that, I mean words like try, but, and should. Those are often filler words that we use to, to link sentences together. And the easiest way to stop doing that is just to put a period where you would normally put a but and start a new, a new sentence. And an example I always say to people is when you use words like but or should, it, it kind of negates the positive if there's a positive piece of that sentence. So if I say, Kevin, that was a really great report that you wrote, but I would have liked to see this section in the summary a little bit more comprehensive. All you're going to walk away is, well, that was a garbage report because the summary wasn't more comprehensive. You're not going to hear the piece where I told you that overall it was a great report. But if I say to you, hey, Kevin, that was a really great report, period. Maybe we could talk a little bit more about making the summary more comprehensive. That lands slightly different. So, you know, I think that it's just we're not always aware. And, and, And internally, the one that I find that I did for a long time that was really limiting for me in my leadership growth was really using this um, if only game. I always call it the if only game. So if only I had more time, if only I had more energy, if only I had you know people who were willing to work harder because sometimes you can feel like you're the only one working and no one else is doing anything. And again, it's it's having to ask yourself, is that really true? Like what's happening for me right now that's making me have that belief system? Because often it's coming from a place of overwhelm or being overworked, um, asking somebody to do something and maybe they weren't able to follow through because their workflow is too heavy. So again, it's really just looking at the language we're using and then the intention behind the language. I think if people can do those things on a regular basis, it it makes it, I, well, I know, I, d- I don't think, I know because this is the framework I've created and I can see that it makes huge, huge changes. It just is, a, it's a slow it's a slow move. You won't see things change overnight. Um, and I think if they did, they, they might not be sustainable. Be- human behavior 
is very comp it can be complex we're creatures of habit and so in order to kind of move the ship a little bit you just have to make you know one degree turns uh, but ultimately you end up in a really different place michelle thompson thank you thank you so mm -hmm. much for joining us um so i mean we we could we could carry on to i i can feel it we we could have <laughs> loads yeah. of but if we had to get hold of you, what would be the best place for us to to go? Where, where, where could we go? Yeah, the best place that you can find me is probably just my website, which is um, curis, C-U-R-I-S, consulting.ca, because I'm in Canada, and all of my links to everything else are there. Um, I do a little bit of social media, but I just feel the more I do it, the more I feel like an old person on social media. So I am on LinkedIn as well. But again, my link to LinkedIn is on my my website. So that's probably just the best place to go. That's Curious Consulting, guys. You will find the links in the description boxes below. Uh, Michelle Thompson, thank you so much for sharing your insights and your 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 wonderful knowledge around psychological safety and leadership. I absolutely value that. Thank you for your time and thank you for being on the show. Thank you so much for having me. It was really a pleasure. Chat soon. Thanks. Cheers. Bye. Okay.